hope you've already been challenged and encouraged uh, through the various testimonies and songs we've pointed to our Lord to trust Him in faith. I want to do encourage you to pick up one of those prayer calendars. Um, that table will be on your right as you exit, and you'll find that there might be a bunch of women around there. It's okay. Uh, those women are there to uh, receive folks who want to be part of the Esther Burroughs uh, time this week. You'll see in your bulletin. It'll be a wonderful time. But the calendar is right there uh, in their midst. So uh, you'll see it right there, and I, I do encourage you to uh, pick that up. I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 14 as we continue uh, from last Sunday, looking at the Spirit of God at work in the church with the focus this morning a little bit more on speaking in tongues, whereas before we talked about the prophecy aspect, we'll do a little bit more there. About a year ago, uh, I was going and getting together uh, our, our boys to go to preschool, and I thought I had left an ample time uh, to have a nice, relaxing drive, which is a wonderful thing to be able to do from time to time. Uh, I encourage you, uh, encourage myself to always do that. But uh, as I was backing out, we've got one of these uh, driveways where you have to back out, and it's um, lined with trees and, of course, grass and other things like that, and it's got some wood that marks the, the driveway. In my hurry, I had ran off the uh, wood rail that marked and divided the driveway, which in itself isn't necessarily all that bad. Uh, I'd gotten into some grass, and, um, and I ran into a little stump, um, you know, you could feel that bump. I thought, well, that's not good. Uh, but it wasn't devastating. It was easy to recover from that, except for the fact that we had a nice good rain like we had last night, uh, which meant that as I hit that stump and wedged up against it and got onto that grass where all the water in my yard seems to collect, um, my power will was right in that spot which meant that I was pressing the gas, but I was not going anywhere. And I thought, well, okay, that's simple. Let me just go forward. There's no stump in front of me. But I had mucked it up sufficiently, so there was no traction whatsoever. And I thought, oh, well, this has gone from bad to worse. Well, let me just try the rocking motion, you know, going back and forth. And all I did was to get further into my grass. I thought, well, what was sufficient time now is, man, if I don't leave right now, I'm going to be late. But there was no hope of leaving right now. I thought, well, let me get some wood and put some wood underneath because that's what you do in the snow. And, and maybe that will give me enough traction. But all that did was just slide the, the wood around in the mud. I thought, well, what are we going to do? Oh, I know. I've got one more vehicle. I will get that vehicle and I will uh, use the power of a big Suburban to get out this Cadillac car. And uh, so I've tried numerous chains, of which some of them broke. Eventually, I got it. But when I got it out, I was so upset, <laughs> frustrated, angry. My shoes were, were once black leather, were now muddy and dirty. Um, my my uh, daughter's in a moment of grace and sweetness, I uh, cleaned my shoes while I was uh, trying to clean up, and, and I had to explain why I was so late. 
And I was just so glad to be out of the driveway that it didn't matter anymore. Sometimes in life, it seems like you can get off the rails and all you do is spin your wheels. And all that you're doing is getting deeper and deeper. And you try to figure out, how do I get out of the situation that I'm in? And you think, oh, if I could have done it over, I would have looked more carefully in those mirrors. I would have driven more slowly. I would have paid more attention to the rails, the guards, the guides, the directions. I would present to you that Scripture provides numerous things in our life, one of which are rails, instructions, guides, to stay in between these lines. Not because it's uh, there's taking you away from the fun that's in the green grass, but to say that if you follow down these rails, it will provide life to you. It will provide sustenance to you. It will take you down a good, godly path in which you will be well pleased if you stay within. But it is in our nature sometimes to get past that. And when we find ourselves spinning our wheels and seeming like we're digging deeper and deeper, the counsel I would always give us is, what does the Word of God say? Has there been somewhere where we were not careful, where we were not thinking about the way that we were to go and that we have crossed a line where Scripture says to go? In 1 Corinthians 14, the church of Corinth certainly was in that place. There were numerous things that they had uh, driven off the lines with. And Paul is giving them this very... Well, it's a tough letter, but it's to say, this is the way that we should go. There were divisions within the body. There was immorality prevalent within the church itself. There were sides that people were, were making. And then there were these uh, uses of spiritual gifts in which it was not built to uh, encourage the church as much as they were using it to edify themselves and to promote themselves. So Paul writes this passage, and he wants to give them some, some lines, some crosses, some, some, some guards to say, you know what, consider this, these principles. And so I just want to bring out two principles. I introduced one of them last week. Uh, I want to reiterate that one, but it's in, and specifically if, with the spiritual gifts of prophecy and tongues. But I would just argue with you that if these principles are true for spiritual gifts of tongues as well as prophecy, it is to be applied across the board to all of our spiritual gifts that God may give us. These principles apply. And I would say these principles apply to anything that we might bring to a church body. First of all, the principle that I'm going to elaborate upon is simply that because we have the Spirit, we can meet with the church to build others up. We can meet with the church to build others up. And I I list that, though it's listed as a possibility, as a potential, this is a promise that can happen. It's also given to us as a command, as a guideline, as a measurement by which we uh, compare our, our actions with. 
Now, let's go back to chapter four, or chapter 14, verse 1. And uh, I have hopes that we'll get through the chapter this time, for most of it. Um, remember, this is following chapter 13, the, the, the love chapter. And so as a transition in, in verse 1, he, he talks about, hey, in all of our spiritual gifts, remember, love is the dominant theme. And so as we read this together, I'm going to ask that we stand together as we read this. I'll read aloud to you. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if you're with your tongue, you utter speech that is not intelligible. How will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you're eager for manifestations of the spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. In the law, it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, and the secrets of his heart are disclosed. So as falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. You may be seated. We may well surpass what we read in our explanation, but we'll do that as the Lord allows uh, this morning. Now, in way of just a little bit of review, in, in, in talking about spiritual gifts, specifically uh, prophecy and speaking in tongues, which sometimes called the sign gifts, there are four different views that most people in the church might have. One is called the cessationist view, which means that simply... These sign gifts like prophecy and speaking in tongues 
uh, are something that have ceased, especially since the destruction of Jerusalem, that there is no more need for these, and this is something that no longer takes place. Uh, folks uh, like John MacArthur and others uh, might go down this direction. Uh, then there is the, the Pentecostal view, uh, which the gifts are in full operation and normal for every Christian. If not evident, then there is something wrong with you, and you need to get right. So it becomes a, an evidence that you're a believer if you take part in speaking in tongues or something like that. Uh, then there is the charismatic view, where the gifts are uh, existent uh, and part of the normal ministry operations of the church, but not everyone has them. So they take the Pentecostal view and dial it back a little bit and say, well, we're not going to go so far to say that everyone has this gift. And then there's the, the view that um, I would probably put myself in, which is the open but cautious view. In other words, we're not going so far to say that the sign gifts have ceased uh, to be, but most of how we see it operate in the church today, especially in America, is not really following a biblical pattern and, in fact, may be harmful, uh, certainly uh, not good. Uh, and so that would be the position I would uh, probably lean toward to say that God can use today in places around this world uh, opportunities to uh, to communicate with others through speaking in tongues. Uh, I think that's something that God can certainly use in prophecy today. I think that's something that God can use in our church today. Uh, I'll share with you some experience last week of how in India we saw some of this at work uh, when we talked specifically about the gifts of healing. Um, and I believe that as you go out, especially in frontier areas, where the gospel is not prevalent like it is in America, where people do not know, I've heard of Jesus' name, that oftentimes it comes with an unusual demonstration of power to show that this is of God. I believe that is, uh, I think, exciting to hear about uh, how God could certainly do that today. But the idea is pursue love. The word pursue love is, is to hunt or chase with intensity. When I think about that, I think about uh, Usain Bolt. Uh, some of you who watched the Olympics this past year, we have got the, the new Carl Lewis today, the, the new record holder, the fastest man in the world uh, on record through Usain Bolt. And if you watched his runs, uh, this Jamaican runner, you saw in the trial runs that how he, uh, though beat everybody by far, he had this tendency toward the end of just kind of watching everyone else watch him and take the pictures and just uh, absorb that. I'm sure he's gotten all kinds of comments about that but when he saw him in the actual main event uh, i i noticed i didn't see that when it was the final event he was focused toward the goal and, and this is the idea that when you pursue something you're focused toward it you're putting all your energies toward it you're not necessarily kind of taking it all in all right and so that's the idea of pursuing that in our body in a local church paul is admonishing us pursue love Seek this. Uh, in another passage in, in, in Romans 14, it talks about pursue that which creates harmony. Make this your focus as you look at what brings us together in the body. And then earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Now, uh, I've talked about how the spiritual gifts is something that God does in our, our, our body. Every believer in Jesus Christ has a, a task, a, a gifting that is energized by the Spirit of God, that is used to accomplish the purpose of the church, is meant for the church. 
Every believer has been gifted by the Spirit of God, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that He has gifted you to be used with a local body. So, just a way of application of that, 1 Corinthians 12, if you're a believer and you say, I don't want to be a part of the church, then you have uh, automatically disobeyed how God has entrusted you with a gift. Use that gift to build up that body so that the body can do the work that God's tasked it to do in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. One of the things I love about this church is that, you know, when we talked about being a greenhouse for the Great Commission, it is a prayer. It's a prayer, but it is a prayer I believe God is answering. When we hear about things like Wayne was sharing about Jeremy and Tristan, what they're doing, and so many others. It is something that God is doing, not just around this world, but God is raising up you in this area, in this community. This is something we use our gifts toward. So, he talks about prophecy, and we talked a little bit about what that is. Uh, last week, simply speaking God's word into a situation uh, it's done, can be done by preaching to explain God's word. Uh, it's not just a commentary, but God using spiritual insight and timing to bring the word of God in, with power in your life. It can also be done by wisdom uh, with insight into an issue where you don't necessarily have scripture verse to give you direction. But God granting wisdom uh, into that. Or perhaps maybe a unusual knowledge like you find in verse 25. If you read down verse 25. Secrets of a person's heart was disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. I think that you see an example of this in John chapter 4, where Jesus speaks to the Samaritan woman and reveals secrets about her life in which there is no way of knowing unless God reveals these things. I believe God can do that, even still in a body. Um, and we kind of gave some cautions last week. Uh, let me just... Uh, Briefly, summarize some of those cautions. When you are giving prophecy to someone, don't claim the authority of God when giving it. Do not say, this is what God says. Alright? You can say, this is what I think God may be saying. Do you understand the difference between that? It is just an, an arrogance on one part to say, this is what God is saying. A height of arrogance to say, this is what God is saying without checking your own heart, without believing that you could be misguided in some way. Now, I can say that about Scripture. This is what God said. It's verified through uh, history and through God Himself testifying to it. But for me to say, outside of Scripture, this is what God says, I've put myself in dangerous grounds. Don't claim the authority of God when giving it. It's always best, if you give it, to tie it with Scripture, so that people can search it for themselves. And others who are listening can search it and examine it for themselves, tied to Scripture. Give it for the purposes described in verse 3. What's it say? Well, that we are to do this for upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. This goes back to the main guiding principle of spiritual gifts. That they're given because in the Spirit we can build up the body. Alright? So even if you say, I sense God saying in my life and giving me this point, this scripture, if it does not build off, if it does not encourage, if it does not bring consolation, then you are contrary to scripture and misguided in your thinking. You have gotten off a rail and it's going to create some problems. 
All right. You understand what I'm saying? Mark verse three. Remember it. Use it in your own life. Use it when someone's talking to you about this. And then. Let me ask you this. Does it contradict what God has clearly said, has said clearly when someone's given you advice? Does it contradict what God has said clearly? You know, sometimes one of the problems is when people are in difficult situations, they seek counselors who are not godly. So many times I've seen uh, situations where there's marital problems and a husband or a wife will start seeking their, their friends who do not speak from the scripture or of faith and they will sympathize with that person and says, man, you need to get rid of that guy. Or what are you doing? Doing that with that girl. I mean, be your own man. Don't listen to her. And you hear this counsel and it encourages them to go against what God has clearly said in the word of God. Mark your counselors. Listen to them. Make sure they're coming from a, a, a scriptural perspective, a faith perspective. And so when it goes against the clear word of God, it's something that we need to watch out for. And then does it glorify God or the prophet? Now, verse 4. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. All right. So what he's saying is that spiritual gifts are not given for the point of making you feel close to God. Um, some people were saying in Corinth, man, if I could, just, I could speak with some language, some tongue, God would gift me with that. Then, man, people will know and I would know that I'm growing close with the Lord. I remember when I was little, you know, some people God does unusual things with. I, my grandmother was one of those. Um, and there were some times when she felt like God was speaking to her through some dreams. And it was in accordance with Scripture. It wasn't counter to, to what Scripture said. And I remember as a teenager hearing that. You know, this is our family discussion. And thinking, no kidding. Wow. That's like in the Bible. And I remember saying to myself, God, I'd like you to speak to me in dreams. Because that would be so cool. <laughs> now, this is what, you know, this is teenage me talking, all right? But there was a point where I said, God, if you would speak to me like that, then I would know I'm really close with you. I would know that I'm yours. Have you ever had thoughts like that? I'm just strange, weird preacher kid. Well, evidently people had thoughts like that in Corinth. And notice what he says. The one who speaks in tongues is building up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church by fault. He's saying default. They're contrary to the word of God. They're contrary to the spirit. We don't have gifts to make me feel close to God. You know what God has provided to help us feel close to God. Something so much better than a dream. Hebrews says in times past God has spoken in various ways through dreams and other ways. But in this day God has given us his son. Listen, if you want to know close intimacy with God, it comes through no other name than Jesus Christ. It doesn't come through some mystical experience. It's not by uh, making sure that your head is so empty and meditation or some drug that you might take to take you some altered place. It comes through Jesus Christ. 
Interesting, in Paul's day, this speaking in tongues was something not unique to a Christian. In fact, it was common among some of the Greco-Roman religions where they would drink themselves and dance themselves to a frenzied state in which there would be ecstatic utterances coming out. And the words used to describe those activities, the same word Paul's using here, tongues. It's through Jesus. It's through Christ. I, I remember thinking through over the years and remembering the episode of my thoughts about grandma. And, and at Philippians 4.19 kind of came to my mind one day. Philippians 4.19 says this, But my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches through glory, and in glory through Christ Jesus our Lord. So it's a great assurance, but it's also a statement. If I don't have it, it's because I don't need it. Because if I needed it, God would have provided it. And God used that scripture to apply to my life. In that instance, <laughs> I don't have dreams because I don't need dreams. I have Christ. And Christ is sufficient. All right? So this, just, just a, a thought in that uh, as we think through this. Now, I want you all, verse 5, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophecy. In other words, says, yes, I want you to be gifted spiritually. If God gifts you with tongues, praise God. Praise God. But even more to prophecy. In other words, because prophecy has a, something tied even more directly with building up the body. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. What's the whole point? If you're going to, he says, if you're going to speak in tongues, make sure there's a translation so that the body may be built up. Otherwise, it's not needed. It hurts. Okay? So you, so you see how Paul is using this guide. Whatever we do is to build each other up and uses it to measure what is right and wrong behavior. Listen, we can do the same thing in our life. When we, when we talk about our speech, what we say to one another, is it building up? Is it encouraging? Is it consoling? If it's not, then knock it out. How we teach, how we serve, what's our motivation? If it's not for building up, if it's not for encouragement, if it's not for consolation... Maybe I need to stop and figure out my motives first. When we're talking together, you know, I noticed when we talk about being greeting, I said, let's not talk about sports. Let's find ways to encourage each other, build each other up, bring consolation. Why? Because that's what the Spirit of God wants to do according to the Word of God. So, we keep on uh, reading here. The one who prophesies is greater... Than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring some revelation of knowledge, or prophecy, or teaching? And now he's about to give three illustrations about how this plays in part. Verse, verse seven: If even lifeless instruments such as flute or the harp do not give distinct sounds, how will anyone know what is played? So even inanimate objects like an instrument needs something for it to be music. It needs to have uh, rhythm. It needs to have harmony. It needs to have some meaning or order there within it for it to be music. Otherwise, it's just sound. So he says, consider even lifeless instruments. 
need these things. And then he talks about the bugle. If a bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? There needs to be some meaning associated with that sound for it to communicate. And then so with yourselves. This is the third illustration. If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you'll be speaking into the air. So the words must have meaning. Since there are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. The word foreigner word is the word barbarian. And the barbarian word is, is actually an onomatopoeia. Alright, you know what that is? That's, that's the word that, by pronouncing it, it sounds, it sounds like, wow! Alright? The word wow, what does wow mean? Uh, um, it's an exclamation, but it's how it sounds describes what's, what it means. Like, pow! Bang! Barbar or barbarian was the word here. He says, if you're going to speak like this, it's going to be like a barbarian, a barbar, and that it means to say it's babble. I don't understand what you're saying. And you'll be that to the speaker and the speaker of foreigner to me. Some of you would say Wayne was a barbarian as he came up here. Alright? <laughs> you're a barbarian, Wayne, because he was speaking in a babble, and if he did not have a translation, it would have been a waste of our time. It would not build us up. So I'm glad you provided a translation for us this morning. All right. Now, um, some of us, I'm sure, have probably had some interesting occurrences with this. I, when I was in East Asia one time, I, I thought it was clever in learning a Chinese word. Um, and so I thought, well, I'll just use this word because I'm so clever. And I'm going to show the people that uh, I know their language. And so a... a uh, a Chinese man was in the elevator, and as I left, he, he told me, ta-ta. I thought, oh, okay, that's some kind of meaning of, of a greeting, a you know, farewell greeting. So everywhere I went, I was going, ta-ta, ta-ta. And I kind of did it in a different tone, ta-ta, you know. <laughs> and they looked at me like, and I was telling my friends about it, and they said, like, man, I don't know that word. You're introducing a new word to me. And it dawned on me like a couple of days later, Oh, this guy was speaking English to me, <laughs> telling me ta-ta, and I didn't get it. you, you got to have the meaning with the sounds, or else you're just babbling like I was doing for a day or two, all right? And what Paul is simply bringing is when you bring sounds, it's got to have some meaning. It's very simple. We build each other up by making sure there's meaning with our sounds. So verse 12, so with yourself, since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, since you're so desirous for these spiritual gifts, Paul is kind of putting some connections together. The purpose of spiritual gifts is to build up the body. Since you're so eager for that, then why don't you be eager for the overall purpose? Be eager. Strive to excel in the building up the church. Let me ask you, are you excellent in building up the body? Are you striving to be excellent in that? That is the abomination of Scripture here to, to tell us. It is a, a guide. It is a realm that if we don't think the point of spiritual gifts is to build up the body, that we'll strive toward that. And if we cross that guideline to say we are not going to make this our pursuit, don't be surprised if by sometimes we find ourselves spinning in a ditch. The whole point of your spiritual gift that God has given you is to build up the body so that it can do the work that God's called it to do. The Great Commission. 
Verse 13. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. And so in other words, there is to be meaning in what I do. Not only is, some people think with spirit, speaking tongues is this kind of an unconscious thing that you get ecstatic. You're not even aware of what you're saying and doing. But what he is bringing out is no, your mind is tied with it. Your mind knows what's going on. It's, it's not an uncontrolled, it is a controlled behavior. Controlled by the Spirit of God, but your mind is included. And so he's debunking this ecstatic utterances that was common among uh, the religion, the uh, Roman and Greek religions of that time. But I want you to bring something else to the the table here. That's the second principle. Because of the Spirit, we meet with the church to build others up. We've talked about that. But there's also this idea of measuring our behavior, but then that we've got something that we can bring. Something that we can bring to church. Because of the Spirit, we meet with the church with something to give. Notice verse 26 down the, down the line here. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. The idea is that when we all come together, you're bringing something with you. Each one of you has something. Let me ask you, each one of you, what have you brought to the worship this morning? Is there something you're bringing to the corporate body? That is the idea in Scripture that each one of us is bringing something because we have the Spirit of God in our life. Worship is something that you prepare for in corporate body. When you're saying, you know, this is what God has been working in my life. Is there something I can share that, someone I can share that with when I meet together with the body? Or perhaps maybe this is a song that God has ministered to in my life. Is there someone I can bring that to on, uh, on a Sunday morning when we gather together? Perhaps it's a, a teaching from the scripture or something that God is doing in your life using your spiritual gifts. There is a, a pulling together of the collective gifts of God in our body. This is something I don't think we get. And I think it's probably hard for churches where there's one person speaking and everyone's listening for us to get that. But it's something that that is here in Scripture. We'll talk about that more as as we keep on going down the Scripture. Now, as we keep on reading verse 16... Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. In other words, if you're saying something that no one can understand, it's not helping them, and they cannot affirm, they cannot encourage, they cannot agree. Now, Paul is implying something here. He is implying something. Now, now watch this, guys. This is revolutionary for our church, all right? He is implying that when we meet together in our church, we'll say amen. <laughs> All right? Revolutionary. Okay? But isn't that what the scripture is saying? He, he, he thought this is understood. When we come together, there's going to be a vocal affirmation with what's going on. Now, he says, you guys are saying stuff that no one understands. Have you ever watched those golf tournaments? 
and um, someone's on a par five, which means for those who don't watch golf and they go, that's a really long ways. And, and someone's on a on the tee and about to tee off, and there's no way whatsoever the ball's going to get to the to the hole. But as that person's swinging and hits the ball and the ball flies up in the air, inevitably, somebody, somewhere within camera shot, within microphone sound, will say, get in the hole! (laughs) I'm thinking, what? I mean, it's 500 some yards out, there's no way it's getting in the hole, but it doesn't make any sense. And it's just like, you're just talking because you want to say something. All right? Now, (laughs) it doesn't make sense. (laughs) I don't. We don't want to say that here, all right? When, when I'm making a point, don't say get in the hole, all right? That's, <laughs> that's not what we want. When, when Paul is saying amen, it's interesting, it's the Hebrew word. A Hebrew word that was never translated into the Greek, just transliterated. In other words, it says we're going to keep on using this Hebrew word. And so even in Corinth, where there are all kinds of speakers of primarily uh, a Greek, a Latin, He's saying, say amen with one another. When you say amen to someone else, it is saying, I agree. I affirm. It is something where I can bring to the worship. To let everyone, that is glorifying to God when there's someone that says something that is, that is, uh, that is within your heart that you say, yes, I hold on to that. I agree with that. Amen. It is a way to encourage that person, but not even more, to say to God what He says, I say. And we worship together. Now, I know we're speaking in a a culturally, uh, maybe difficult uh, congregation to to get that. You know, you you go to an African-American worship, uh, primarily African-American worship. It's totally different. Here, if you, if you do that, then I know, man, you're excited. <laughs> you know? You've got something to tell something else about. And if, if, if I, if I get a, uh, mm, from Dick, <laughs> mm, alright? Then I know that there's a, especially poignant, maybe convicting thing that, that we're, we're hearing. And I just want to say, it's okay to actually put some vocalization to some of that. I mean, it may be just a whisper. I, I'm not going to push this too far. <laughs> just to whisper. Amen. Amen. Alright. Just maybe for your neighbor to hear. It might help them. Alright. Um, but I'm, I'm, you know, it's, it seems funny. But listen. I think there is something to this. That it's not just to be humorous. There is something to this. Of having a corporate body in worship together. If we're not careful, it just becomes entertainment and bad entertainment at that. And let me just say that. All right? This is not entertainment. This is something where we bring together what God is working in our life. And so if there is something that maybe throughout this week, that a song or a message or something being brought out that especially hits home, that is a divine appointed moment, spiritually speaking, for us to affirm that and praise God for it. I love how when John is writing the book of Revelation, he's writing and he's hearing what, what Jesus is saying. And, and, he, and John, even in his writing, it says if he has to interrupt what he's writing, say, 
Amen. Look at the end. At the very end. How does it end? Amen. Even so, Lord, come quickly. I hold on to that. That's my hope. That's part of the fiber of who I am. Amen. And so, I, I just it's implied in this, and I just couldn't let it go. There's something to this of letting the Spirit of God work in our life in a corporate worship. So that we can give thanks. And it builds up the other people. I thank God, verse 18, that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than ten thousand words in a tongue. Now, the word ten thousand is the highest word they had in the Greek vocabulary. It's the highest number that they had a name for. It's where we get the word myriad. So what Paul is saying is if, if Google, isn't that a word, something like that? Isn't that is, am I speaking off base? Yeah, it's a search engine now, but I think it used to be a number. I guess it still is a number. Uh, but Google Plex, thank you very much. I knew I had some math folks here that would know that. So it's kind of like saying that, and of course no one understands Google Plex because <laughs> we don't know that word unless you're a math person. But it's, it, it's kind of what Paul is saying here. The, the highest number I can think of, if I can speak with as many words as possible, I would rather speak five words that people can understand to make it the point, to say that Jesus loves you more poignant to say 10,000 words in another language that no one understands. Thank you. <laughs> and so we come to verse 20. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. <laughs> Are you well-versed? Are you an expert in sinning? Are you an expert in thinking outside of Scripture? Paul said, don't do that. Don't be like that. Learn to grow in faith. And he gives us some instructions here. Verse 21, and the law is written. And what he's about to do is quote Isaiah 28, verse 11, 12. And the law is written by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Now, I think this is key. What he's quoting, Isaiah 28, verse 11 and 12, is a prophecy in Isaiah, of course, where God is giving... Uh, saying that there's going to be a time when people will be speaking in different tongues, but it's going to be of condemnation. It's a sign of condemning. God's condemned the state that you're in. So, when Paul brings it up here, he's saying the fact that God has gifted us with the ability to speak in tongues harkens back to the Old Testament. And it is a sign today of God's work it is a sign of condemnation to the Jews that did not believe, but it is also a sign of blessing to the Gentiles, the nations around the world. What do I mean by that? Genesis 12, we have um, Genesis 11, you got the Tower of Babel, the birth of nations, people speaking in tongues. In Genesis 12, you got the calling out of Abraham. So in the midst of all the different languages... God calls out Abraham and it is the birth of the Hebrews, birth of the Jews. And it is a way of him saying, I'm going to work specifically and uniquely through this people. When Jesus comes on the scene through many prophecies, there were 360 some prophecies of the Messiah that Jesus fulfilled. When Jesus comes, he starts speaking words of warning toward the end of his ministry, especially to Jerusalem. Because they did not know the time of their visitation. They did not recognize him as the Messiah. Even as he went into, uh, on Palm Sunday, when the, when the priests and, uh, Pharisees are calling out and condemning him because children and others are praising him and calling him the Messiah. 
Jesus says, look, if they don't do this, God will raise up even stones to worship me. And while he was there, he gives us passages like Matthew 23 and Luke 21 that gives condemnation of Jerusalem that will happen. And does happen in just 40 years, a little less than 40 years after Jesus comes on the scene. On Acts 2, when the speaking of tongues come, Peter gives a sermon. He says, this one whom you've crucified has been risen again. And he's saying the speaking of tongues gives evidence of what's happening. What is God doing? God is saying this. If the Jews as a nation does not hold on to me, does not lift up Jesus, I will cease working uniquely through this one nation and open it up to all the nations. And so in Acts 2 comes and speaking in tongues is a visible sign to the unbelieving Jew, one of condemnation, but two also of God's going to work through nations. Which is why you see in Acts, when the Jews are skeptical and they don't believe that these Gentiles really are in the kingdom of God, or that the Spirit of God is in them, it becomes evident through the speaking of tongues. And when they see that, the Jews are amazed and astounded. So, all that to say, the point of speaking in tongues was given to demonstrate God's working through the nations, no longer uniquely working through Jerusalem or through the nation of, of uh, the Hebrews. So what does it mean today? The fact that I can say to you, God loves you, sent his son to die for you. That if you would confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That if you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The fact that you can understand that is God's stamp saying salvation has been opened up to you. It's something we praise God for. There will be a day and time when that open door will close. Yesterday, I got a phone call from one of our neighbors here. Some of you keeping up through the prayer request of a man I visited. He was about to have surgery. He had an aneurysm. God orchestrated events where I got to meet them. At some cost to me, uh, I got to meet them. And before the surgery, she called me up, and I went, and Trey Fussell and I got to talk with them. We shared the gospel with them. He did not believe. And I explained some of the scriptures I just quoted to you. I said, is there any reason why you would not be willing to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Do you want to do that right now? I'm sad to say he did not respond in the positive at the time. He said, no, not right now. He went on and had a surgery. The Lord brought him through the surgery. And just a, a few weeks later, two or three week, weeks later, he is involved in a motorcycle accident. I visited him in the ICU. He's still conscious at the time. Saying, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. And I'm praying all along, God, 
Will you bring back to his mind? He's not able to talk with me anymore. Will you bring back to his mind the things that I've shared with him? Things I've warned him about. I got a call yesterday evening. And he's no more. He's no more. I have no idea how he responded to the Lord. I prayed. He responded to the Lord in ways that I only have to trust God for. I have no evidence of. But I know you heard the gospel. And the door was open to him. The point I'm bringing out is that every open door closes at some time. The very fact that you can hear when a language you understand speaks that God has worked in history so that you would hear the gospel and know it, understand it, trust in it, love it, treasure it, and let it shape you. God wants you to know Jesus as your Savior and Lord. That door does not remain open forever. Will you trust in Jesus as your Savior and Lord? God will give people the gift of tongues just so you understand. But now that you're here, what will you do? Let's pray.